Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my guest today, he came out as trans socially when he was 12, and then a few years later, he began his transition publicly, sharing it on Instagram, through Huffington Post articles, MTV Voices, and other places where he documented his medical transition. He is an activist and a beautiful actor currently starring on Showtime's The L Word Generation Q. I'm so honored to welcome Leo Shang to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Leo Shang. Leo was born in Hunan, China, and was raised by two moms outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Leo came out as trans at 12 and started his social transition in middle school. Through Instagram, Huffington Post articles, and MTV Voices, Leo documented his medical transition. Leo is an activist and an actor who is currently starring on the L Word Generation Q and previously starred in the film Adam. He is an activist, a beautiful artist, an incredible human, and I'm so honored to have Leo on the podcast today. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. It's pretty amazing um, to get to talk to you in person, although unlike some other guests, I feel like you have already been so generous in sharing so much of your life story with us through social media. Um, I have so many things about social media that I don't like, but the positive messaging and beautiful story that you've been sharing, it's one of the reasons that I am really thrilled to have joined Instagram. Let's just start. We were talking in uh, September of 2021. We have come out and through and continue to work through so much in the world on a daily basis. But let's just start with like, how are you today? Today, I am okay. I, I slept in a little bit, uh, which to be honest, in the quarantine, sleeping in is just like kind of more often than not. Yeah. Um, and I read a little bit. I'm currently reading The Leavers by Lisa Ko. Um, I just and, finished it. 
Did you really? Yeah, I loved it oh, so much. Oh my gosh, what are yeah. the odds? Okay. Yeah, I loved it. Um, but on to your story. So tell me a little bit about, before we end in the world of Micah, the beautiful social worker on the L word, Generation Q, tell me beyond what I read in your intro, which was you were born in China and raised in Michigan, um, which is not everybody's story. Tell me a little bit about growing up in your household. Before we started, you said the beautiful uh, piece of art behind you. This is a Zoom and I'm looking at a very beautiful piece yeah. of art. Your was made by one of your moms. Um, oh, oh. Uh, well, she actually, she didn't make this. My mom, actually, one of my moms is is um, an artist in the, in, the, in the physical sense of creating like uh, drawings or painting. My mom, Nancy, um, was is a beautiful watercolorist, um, uh, and actually my mom Laura is a musician. She grew up playing the piano, um, but this is actually just like a little postcard they sent and a little and a little stack of of things from home. Um, this past Christmas, uh, they sent me a stack of postcards from Depot Town, which is a place in Ipsy. It's right right next to downtown. It's just this little strip of kind of like historical buildings um, that are restaurants and stores. Uh, and they sent this as well um, because I also have this thing for the moon, um, uh, which I think when I think about like my roots of that, um, I mentioned before I'm an adoptee and, and my mom growing up, she would uh, kind of recite this nursery rhyme. Uh, I see the moon, the moon sees me. And she would say that about my birth mom and my birth family. Um, and I think that's stuck with me in a very like um, uh, kind of like a, almost like a D in my DNA a little bit of, of, uh, of my my relationship to the moon um so so, this was just part of their christmas present but um but my mom yeah they it was i I love it and so i wanted to hang it up and and think about it a lot so so tell me about so growing up were you an only child i was and some people say they can tell and some people are like oh and i don't know how to take that (laughs) (laughs) do you have a sense of what they mean by that when they meet you um i i hope it comes from, um, you know, I'm not typically, I think if I'm in a, in a new social setting, like I will try and interact and I'll try and be a little bit more uh, outgoing, but I'm typically a little bit more on the reserve side. Um, at least I feel like I am, but I I, I think I'm, I, I interact when it feels appropriate for me. Um, and so I hope people think like when they say, I, <laughs> I can tell you're an only child, it's like my ability to interact um, with adults when I was younger. Um, because that's primarily who I was around. Like I preferred to be around adults versus kids my own age. I found them exhausting. <laughs> um, and uh, so maybe part of that, part of, uh, you know, some people think I'm older than I am. And I think that goes again to my social interaction skills. skills. Um, but, or it could be that I sometimes do talk a lot and uh, maybe only children like to talk a lot because they have more attention and like they have more uh, uh, responsiveness from their parents and family or whoever's raising them. Did you like being an only <clears throat> child? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I there were times I would wish I had siblings, um, but then I would see friends with their siblings and be very glad I kind of dodged that challenge. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, again, traditionally, only children are seen as having more time with their parents, more attention. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed spending time with my parents. I enjoyed doing things with them um, versus, I think, other kids my age. When you were growing up in Ann Arbor, <clears throat> were you uh, in a community of other kids who were adopted by two moms? Were you connected to other kids who were adopted? Is that something that was sort of 
important to your parents to find for you? Was it there? Yeah, it was, it was, it was there, not necessarily in droves. Um, so I, Ypsilanti is like right, is like kitty corner to, to Ann Arbor. It's literally, you know, you drive under a tiny little bridge and it's, you're in Ann Arbor. And so um, I did have a bit of um, uh, uh, mobility in that sense of, of kind of social mobility between towns and like what my uh, surroundings were like uh, socially, politically in Ann Arbor versus Ipsy. Um, in Ipsy, um, where I lived, uh, there were two other families that I personally knew, like that I would, that I like hung out with, um, where there were um, East Asian transracial adoptees. One family was two moms, one family was uh, a mom and a dad. Um, both parents were white. Um, and we were like, those are the only ones I knew personally. Like, that doesn't mean they weren't obviously more around in, in, in town. Um, and one family that I grew up with, um, both of their daughters were also from China. And one of the daughters was also adopted from the same province. And without sharing too much of her story, that was that was a big connecting piece for all of us. And, and again, they're, you know, having two moms. And so that was, um, they were just like the family friends you grew up with, you know. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a very common piece of community that I had. Um, and there were maybe, uh, I think maybe one or two other East Asian kids growing up in my class, including, including actually the other boy, um, and so it was, it was relatively small in that sense, but um, we, it was a very open topic in my family. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to ignore and hard to not, not address. Um, but uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a large adoptee community that I was aware of. So, although like when I, I mean, because of that, I think partly because of that, most of the people I knew who were Asian and adopted and had two moms, like when I remember one time we were at a family diner and there was a little per person, I'm assuming is a little girl, presuming just because based on gender, uh, you know, assumptions. Um, and I saw her like with a mom and I was like waiting for another mom to come in. And then I, like a, a man came in and I'm assuming her husband, cause they were very close and very like coupley. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's interesting because the only person who had straight parents was a little boy that I knew. So it was just, it didn't compute. Um, and so that's part of probably not having that huge, huge community growing up. When you talk about sort of that beautiful, I don't know, ritual of the nursery rhyme and the, and the moon and, and the symbolism of that, um, did you ever go back to the town you were born in or, or did you ever sort of do um, a sort of tracing of, of your personal roots? Mm -hmm. um, I have not yet. Um, I, uh, I actually only recently, in the last few years, joined this Facebook group called China's Children International which is um, a large contingent of Chinese adoptees and adoptive parents. There's also a page just for adoptees because sometimes we need space to share with each other. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of folks actually in that group have, have kind of made a trip back to China. I, I haven't yet. And um, I think growing up, I, used, I it was kind of a given that I would, but uh, as I get older and as my relationship to what I think I know about my, my biological roots evolves, um, you know, the desire has never gone away, but it's, I think, matured in the sense that I would like to take two trips, I think. I, and I'm, I'm more clear what my intentions would be. I think I would want to take one trip to get orientate, or oriented mm -hmm. with, the, with, the, with the lay of the land and kind of yeah. like let myself be present fully um, and take everything in. And if I decided to go to pursue looking for any sort of biological connection, 
that would have to be a separate trip or I'd have to be there for a really long time just because I think that like knowing me, I would need space to process one of the two separately. Um, and I have also done 23andMe. I know there's a lot of fair concerns and controversy over like DNA sites. And I, I think if I were more aware of some of the other options, like different organ like um, companies maybe, or different, different um, DNA, uh, um, uh, sort of research tools. Research, thank you. Yes. Uh, I might have pursued others, but um, I, I currently use 23andMe and I've like, I haven't found any strong biological connections. I think I, I would, every the strongest is like 0.83%, so like a fourth cousin, but I actually, a couple of people I've reached out to were like, I'm also adopted. So I'm also looking for like, you know, and it's like, we can't really help, we can help each other in the sense that we we can cross someone off or we can know that, okay, this person is looking as well. Right. But um. But it's 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 been a bit of a challenge for sure. I think, especially again, as I'm growing older and trying to determine what my intentions and what my desires are around that piece of my life. There's there's so much um, documentation that you have shared and and story about you that you've shared publicly, um, but it, it's really unique uh, the ways in which you decided to be really open with your journey. And I'm wondering, was that in part because when you were going through your own decision-making process, there was so little out there for you to kind of see, relate to, be inspired by? Um, Or were you always someone who was like just very open about sharing whatever you were going through, even something less dramatic than this might appear to somebody else? Uh, you know, that's, yeah, I think there's a yes to some of that. I think again, like growing up as an only child, you're used to a certain level of like responsiveness and like attention and like (laughs) talking is just okay, you know, um, and you're not being interrupted by siblings. So there's, I think in terms of just where I was coming from sharing about myself, there's probably that element to it. Um, and, and yes, when I, when I, so I was 12 when I came out and that was what, 2008, which I know like it is, it's probably like so recent for some other folks, but that's more than half my life. <laughs> and so a less than, uh, no, I don't know at this point. Um, um, but it's. When you say come out, come out specifically yes. about. About come out as trans socially. So like um, one of the things I, I like to remind people and I know other people like, you know, trans folks specify is there are just different types of, of transitions. So I started my social transition. So my name, my pronouns, uh, my gender expression didn't change a whole lot. I was I was wearing masculine clothes for a very long time, mm-hmm. but it, I think solidified for folks that it wasn't just like me being a tomboy, you know. Um, I'd, so that was when I was twelve, um, and yeah, I the so the full circle moment I always refer to is actually the L word. There was an L word. Max was the first trans man in my life I'd ever encountered um, on YouTube. I stumbled across as I'm remembering the details of the timeline. I my mom and her her ex were still co-parenting me and it was at her ex's house where I was on the computer and I found Max. Okay. Um, and then there was, there was a big thing where um, she got in an accident and uh, custody started, custody uh, battle, back of, lack of a better word. Um, but it wasn't until after that, like, I was registering my gender in a different way, um, during, even the early stages of, of the court's um, hearings. Um, and so I just like, I just, it was like, I didn't, it mean, it meant almost nothing to me in the sense that like, I don't know what this means. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. I just, this is just a person I saw on YouTube on a TV show. And it was the scene where he's telling uh, this girl that he's dating that he's trans and she gets up and leaves the restaurant and tells him he's disgusting. 
And I didn't, inter- I, I didn't internalize that. I didn't, I didn't respond to that. And I, I just thought that, wow, that's really sad, but I had no idea what it meant. Right. You know, the only trans people I ever met were trans women in their like forties and fifties. Um, and so like, I just, there was just no way for me to think, oh, trans men, there's, there's another like, and, and am I, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and so a little after the court um, proceeding started, I, I uh, was in a corner point of therapy um, and I mentioned something about my gender and the therapist, as much as I'm glad I came out when I did and realized when I did, I don't think she probably went about handling it in the most productive way or best way to also like understand that it was a really big shift for my family. Like for as long as we knew I was just a tomboy, potentially like a really butch lesbian, you know? Um, And so she like honed in on that and she was like transgender and like brought my mom in and was like talking, suddenly telling her about like testosterone and top surgery and like all these things that I suddenly wanted, but not, she didn't do it in a way that was like, this is where Leo is at right now. This is what he's Mm -hmm. saying. You know, Mm -hmm. instead of saying like, these are things that he might be interested later down the line. It's like, look into all of this now, you know? And it, it, it just wasn't handled very well. Um, but, but that was what kind of spurred my, my YouTube deep dive into other trans men who were documenting their, their transition, medical transitions on YouTube. So people who had started testosterone, people who were, um, uh, waiting for top surgery, had top surgery, showing their like compression vests and drains. And like, as long as I was, I'm still in some part, in some way, part of that YouTube generation, because these videos were not like archives these were like happening as I was trans- socially transitioning as well right, you know right. and that's something that I try and like remind people who might be older than me trans folks and like particularly trans men like I didn't live an adult life before transitioning and so I didn't have those experiences of feeling like not aligned with my body but I did transition in the same like year in time chronologically that people did as well you know what I mean like ad- and adults this is did. all around the time like you're 13 years old about like you said middle school mm-hmm. okay. yeah so so, so really, I'm, I'm yeah. very I was young and like, again, like I'm lucky to have transitioned earlier in the sense that like, I knew I didn't, I didn't live 20, 30 years in a body that didn't mm-hmm. feel right. I didn't live 20, 30 years feeling out of place. And just like the same, the same time in our, in our timeline of, of politics and society, like I, tra- I, you know, 2008, maybe it was another time, another 30 year old was coming out and finding those videos. So like, in that sense, that's similar to me. Right. Um, and so uh, I was suddenly just like subscribing to all of these like trans guys. Like I was, I like, bef- like after school, I was coming home watching videos of trans men. And one thing I noticed was they were almost, almost all white, almost all on testosterone, almost all having top surgery. And like, at the time, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. And um, a couple of years passed and it, it was kind of a, it was kind of rocky in the beginning. Like I, my mom and I had a lot of adjusting to do a lot of kind of recalibrating. And I technically like went back in after the first time I came out. And then later that fall, I, I came out again after like falling into a really deep depression. Um, and when I was 14, um, I did, I asked my mom if I could start my own YouTube channel. And I was like, no, you're 14. This is the internet. No. And I was like, I was just so like, can I please, like all these other guys are doing it, you know, kind of like the way teenagers are. Um, and they eventually said yes, and that they would approve the topics, and they would monitor it. Um, and you know, whatever. Eleven years later, it's still up, and I haven't touched it in, in five years. But um, that's that's how it started. Was and I, is a whole community of your own then 
grow around this YouTube channel or was it a pretty small? Yeah. Um, to me, it felt like a huge community. It felt like I yeah. could name at the time I probably could have named 10 trans guys I was following on YouTube. Right. And those are the ones I was following, not the ones that were posting, you know, and right. um, I eventually kind of shift I, before uh, around the time I started my YouTube. I was also posting on Tumblr because that's a little, you know, you can be more anonymous. It's like meant for teens. Like it was fine. Um, and then I eventually switched to Instagram in high school. <clears throat> and again, partly because partly at the time I kept looking at it like, it's just part of my journey. Like I'm not doing anything brave, which people are like, you know, you're so brave for sharing yourself. And I see what they're saying because it's very scary to be visible. And I, I have the privilege of being visible that my, my safety's not, um, um, uh, compromised in the same way. Um, and so I was just like, I think one of the first photos I posted, like transition related was like a photo of me when I was 17 next to a photo of me when I was like 12, you know, or not 17, excuse me. Uh, yeah. Uh, seven, 16 or 17. Next to my photo when I was 12 in just four years, how I just physically look very different. Um, and I was, I remember thinking like, I don't want to hide this part of myself. People in high school knew I was trans. And if they follow me on Instagram, which I had like 12 followers at one point, you know, you know my friends, like something felt very important about not hiding part of myself. Um, and I don't think I realized even then how important, how, how the impact that would have. And there's, so there's, there's no way. You, how old were you when you started <clears throat> taking hormones? Uh, I was 18 because of the custody uh, um, case. Uh, my mom's had physical custody of me. So like I right. live with them, right. but um, her ex had legal custody and she was very against any blockers, any sort of medical intervention, which like was awful. <laughs> it was awful. I, if anyone's listening to this and has concerns about young kids on hormone blockers or testosterone, if they tell you they feel like their life is being stifled or like they cannot enjoy it, like that's not just being a teenager. That is like, pain. Right. So that's one thing I would say. Um, so I said like everything when I was 18 within a, a week after graduation, I had top surgery. And like a month later I was on T and a month later I was in the dorms. <laughs> so somehow like in your story, you know, most of the actors on the show, like were doing musicals when they were in high school and then went to, you know, Carnegie Mellon. And there was kind of this whole, um, yep performance aspect to their lives and this is where I mm -hmm. found community and I felt accepted and you know thank God for plays um yeah. when you look at your you know IMDB page it is not filled with like no. you know Disney shows or mm. you know it's it says that you training. were studying <laughs> right or training um it says that you were studying social work uh, uh -huh. at, a, at a university so which is maybe the, the transition you just described of going from having top surgery to moving into a dorm mm -hmm. and then starting your, you know, higher education or further education life. So mm -hmm. how does this person who's studying <laughs> social work, very open and very telegenic, I might add, on your, <laughs> on your um, Instagram page, um, I know you got this movie and now you're starring on a TV show and you're very famous, not as a social worker, but for playing a social worker. So how does this whole other, I mean, it feels so like, of course, and inevitable when you look back at it. Um, sure. But, oh my God, Leo. I mean, the, the gift that this is has never been lost on me. I mean, I've been in, in lifts where people ask me what I do and I kind of like, 
an actor because it's like everyone in LA is an actor of or, course. you know and that doesn't mean they're like not really but like everyone yeah, is out yeah. here trying to be in the industry yeah and, like, and they're like well what do you do and I'm like well first of all you seem like presumably again I'm making assumptions a very large cis man do I want to tell you what show I'm on <laughs> exactly. you know but then I'm like but then there was this one driver who's like I've been in the industry like decades and I just got my first series regular and I was like I don't want to tell him what I do I don't want to tell him my job because I again I I I lucked into this um, I, yes, I was originally as well, in undergrad, I wanted to study film and I, I, my major was film for two years. Um, and then I realized. So film was I, important to you, like growing film up. Film was always, those- always, oh my God. I didn't, I was just telling my, telling my therapist. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, re- I was not a child who was a bookworm. I didn't read until like really, really read for fun because I wanted to pick up a book until like fifth grade middle school. And even then it was just like only specific science fiction. Okay. I watched television religiously first thing in the morning before school, right when I got home, like, that's all I did. And I don't want this to be a reflection of my parents. They were like, I, I, they, you know, I, it wasn't like gruesome stuff. It was just like, I'm watching, I'm watching I Love Lucy, you know, at eight years old. And I'm watching like Carol Burnett show and Cheers. And like, even if I didn't fully understand like the humor, I knew that like, these were, these were like, these shaped my upbringing, you know? Right. Um, so, so f- film and television has always been a massive part of my life. Um, and I wanted to write. I wanted to direct, uh, and I did a couple of short films in undergrad with my one of my best friends. Okay. Um, and then I don't know what, what what it was. I think a part of me was like, this doesn't feel realistic. I need to do something that um, I know I can do. Um, and when I was in high school, I joined a couple teen uh, activist advocacy groups, and I knew that I was good at it in a sense that I understood it. Mm. Um, and so I was like, social work you know, uh, and then I had to decide to have to social work, community organizing or clinical. And I felt like you can learn theory, but you can't learn community organizing in class. So I wanted to do clinical because you can't learn that just you. I mean, most people do learn as they go, but you need training on that. Right. Um, and so uh, I and you to can do, continue uh, to do activism in life course. regardless. And I, wanted, yeah. and I wanted to do I wanted to be a counselor for activists for like okay. community building, communities of color. Huh. Um, and so, but that was the original uh, I, intent. That was the original intent. After after all those major, you know, uh, graduate uh, uh, switches, and then I I graduated in 2017, and I was about to like that was the same year I was going to grad school, and then I got the an audition. I got a message to audition for Adam because um, they were looking for trans people to play trans characters because the director was trans too. So he understood Reese Ernst, who is a great director, uh, understood the importance of telling authentic stories in that way. Um, and okay, I did so it. So you I, had not acted before? No. And they no. find you because you're an Instagram personality. To, is that how that, they, yes, he knows that who is how you they, are? Yes. I, I, it was, it was uh, an Instagram message from the casting director or casting okay. uh, department. So a casting person found you during the, yes, the it, casting search for this mm-hmm. role. Yes. Because to a year prior, a year and a half or two prior, I had done Miley Cyrus's Happy Hippie Foundation um, Pride. Uh, launch with uh, like an all group of, of like all trans and uh, not and like gender um, uh, 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 non non-conforming people, um, and that's kind of what blew up my platform in the way that it did. Uh, and so I auditioned. I got it. I deferred grad school for a year for the six week film shoot, uh, and then um, we filmed it. We wrapped. I came back and was working at, at our multicultural center where I was working before. Um, and I waited and then I started grad school and I was like, all right, that was my acting career. Like, that's it. Uh, and we went to Sundance, like inc- incredibly enough. And, um, 
I met my net, my, the, who I was working were uh, the person who's my manager for the L word uh, in the last couple of years, we met there and she, uh, I mean, I've told the story, but like, anyway, we, she gave me her card and, and she, she, we talked a few months later as, as Adam was being shopped around to more festivals. Uh, and, um, after we, we had a phone call, she, she sent me the breakdown for the L word and that's kind of like how it picked back up. And, uh, I actually watched my auditions re- like within the last few months for both Adam and the L word. And I was like, how did they see, how did they decide to cast me? Cause they were like, they're, Oh, they're so bad. So bad. I do you, I don't know if that could really, I mean, do you think they're really bad? I mean, have you I, said now to, um, to the showrunners of the L word, have you asked them that question or is this you just being humble or self-critical? Um, I've never directly asked them. I said, was my audition bad, but as bad I think, as I think Marge, it is. we were, we did, we actually, uh, Ari Marge and I had an interview a few weeks ago where I said something like, I remember my audition and just like panicking because I had never done, I'd never auditioned in front of, other than other than Adam, like I'd never done like a massive production audition. But like I flew out to LA. I mean, I flew out to, for, in New York for Adam. Like I flew so out to LA. So this was not a self-tape. You had to go. Oh, oh, it was. It was. And then I, and then they flew me out to okay. Henry also with Ari. Okay. Um, and I remember saying like, I just like, I, Marja was giving me notes and I'm like, and I was like, am I applying them? Like, I, I couldn't tell. I was like, was I doing what she asked? And she said, and I'm going to like, this is like a summary of what she said. She's yeah. like, you know, what we do in these in- auditions is like, we see, can we do this dance together? You know, whether or not you're taking the note, I want to see if you're like, are you thinking about it? Are you like, are you listening? Um, and I think that's what they saw. They saw that I was trying to do it. They saw that I was like trying to embody the, the feedback and, um, I think, I think the reason I think it's so bad is I also didn't know who Michael was, you know, we didn't know who Michael was in the beginning. Um, and if I were to do that audition now, it would be a thousand times different. Um, I don't know if I say better, but, but different just because I understand Mike and, and it in a different way. Um, because partly because I, Mark and I are very much alike <laughs> the last two years of playing him, um, have, have shown me that for sure. Anyway, that is a long way of saying like that. There's no long way. This is the greatest story ever. And (laughs) I'm hanging on every word. And so will every listener because it's such an incredible story. Um, Uh, The original breakdown, Michael was mid-30s, trans-Asian guy. And I was already like, all right, I don't know anything about, I don't even know what a breakdown was. I did not know that word. And so I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I'm very positive. Very few people are looking for Asian trans men in the roles that they're casting and writing. Um, and so that was already like, I fulfilled two of those. Uh, and I was terrified. I was too young. I was like, I'm not going to get it. I'm too young. I'm not an actor. Like I'm, so that's why I partly why I auditioned was like on a win. Like I'm not going to get it because, you know, for these reasons. Um, and he's also, he was also written in a way that I think Asian men haven't often been written to my awareness or like my experience of watching of like, he does hookups. He doesn't do dating. If he had a slogan, it would be, um, uh, breakfast is hard, sex is easy, breakfast is hard or something like that. Um, in the sense that like, he just, that's all he wants to do. And I'm like, okay, like a sexually liberated, like not fetishized, not emasculated. Like not, there's not these ends of the spectrum that we see of Asian men. Um, so often our Asian people in general, East Asian people in general are, are people of color, especially. Um, and I was like, okay, this has my attention. <laughs> um, but I also did not know how to play that. I didn't know how to, I don't know what it means to play like a sexy, like, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm not going to say that I do now, but I understand the, 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 the technical aspect of transferring, um, of, of digging into your, your history to, 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 to 
bring that into a role. I'd understand that now in a better way. And so um, originally, yeah, and he was, and he was a JPL, he was a scientist at JPL, which also I did not know what that was. I had to Google. Um, <laughs> and I was like, hmm. So I got the role and uh, I flew out July 1st uh, and we started filming July 7th or something. Um, and I remember having a meeting with Marja and I was like, I came with a list of questions. I don't like, I had never, what is, I don't know what, I didn't know what character study was. I didn't know what it meant to create it. I didn't know how much they knew about Micah. Like I didn't know anything. And so I'm like, all right, my top questions are, are his parents whiter Chinese? Is he first generation, second generation, third generation? Like those are the top two things because I remember in, um, after I was cast, like Marja was like, we haven't figured out yet if we want his story to mirror yours or um, something else. Um, and and as, as an adoptee, I can't speak to the experiences of first gen, second gen, third generation um, kids of immigrants. Um, and I can only rely on like experiences my friends have shared. Um, and I was like, okay, so, and I also had like secondary questions. What is his favorite color? What does he like to do in his free time? Because again, I, I didn't know. And then it got to his job and I was like, I, I have a question. <laughs> um, I see he did a scientist at JPL and actually he was originally, then they changed him to a social worker, I think maybe for my audition and then back to a scientist. And I was like, so we have a lot of Asian people East Asian people portrayed as, as doctors or scientists in media. And I don't think I said it just like this, but I said something like, I don't know if I wanted him to be a scientist because of the, that, like that stereotype. And Marsha goes, didn't even think about that. You got it. Like, and it was like, not a problem. It was a non-issue. Um, so, but also, I also like Marsha's wife as a social worker. So I don't think it was me who, 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 you know, led that charge, but that was in her mind. And I, and I do wonder, or maybe hope that my background also led to um, that part of him. As yeah. this series has unfolded, um, how much do you guys know what is happening in the future for your characters, or is it mm -hmm. each table read where you're finding out along with you know everybody else, or did they arc it out with you at any point? Mm. I think it's a little bit of all of that. You know, okay. I, I don't know if Rosani talked about this when she was on with you. She she she's told shared with me like the way the writers have approached us and like what we've met with them and like they've asked us about ourselves. What, is, what does it feel like when you fall in love? Have you been in love? What is your relationship like with your parent? Like almost like therapy questions yeah. to get a sense of who we are to fit our voice with the characters. Um, that's what they did in season one and they did that in season two. And um, Rosanna it's like, that's rare. That is rare that writers will try and fit your voice to the people they've already mm -hmm. created or are creating. Uh, and again, me having no experience or very little experience, the one project I did was based on a book. I was like, okay, okay, good. Like, that's good to know. It's like, this This might not happen on every set. So take it in um, and like really take advantage of when they're asking you questions, give them answers. Um, and so- writing for, is there, tell me about the writer's room. Are, do you feel represented mm -hmm. by, by the writers? Are there trans writers? Are there Asian American writers? Sort of who is in the writer's room um, yeah. that have a personal understanding or are they just depending on you to share your DNA and your story in that way? Or a little bit of yeah. both. I mean, Marja is very intentional about who she hires. I mean, most, most of the people on set are women. Um, uh, and, and I think that's so important to make, to be that intentional and to like, you know, really try and bring people up. And I think that um, our writer's room reflects pieces of us. I mean, the, you know, we're always going to be only be able to tell our own experiences. So like, um, but yeah, and there's a, there's a trans guy in the writer's room, Thomas Page McBee. 
Um, he, he is white. And so we do, we will have different experiences based off of our race as well, specifically. Um, but there's somebody, there's people there who understand, who, who like are trans and can say like, this is a gendered experience. or this is an experience like where I wouldn't be like, they wouldn't talk to a cis man like this, or like if, you know, someone knows I'm trans. Um, so that's, that's really helpful. And, and it's kind of like a, it's a back and forth. I'll, I'll be like, well, in my experience as like an Asian trans man, like this is what's happened for me. Um, as a queer trans man, this is what's happening for me. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, there are people who can speak to aspects of us uh, and, and share their experiences and, and our experiences for sure. Is it fun? Is it the fun show? to be on the L word? Oh my God, it is like, I, <laughs> well, the first season, the first season there's bloopers. I didn't have any because I was like, I know my lines. I'm coming. I'm gonna hit that mark, and I'm not messing up for shit. Yeah. Like, it's not gonna be me who slows it's this. It's not gonna be me. It's down. not gonna be the new right. kid. It's not right. gonna be the one who doesn't know what to do. What to do. Yeah. Um, and then and but I did. But it was still incredibly fun. And and the second season, I was like, all right, I'm not gonna like try and have bloopers. But I'm like, I know what's happening now. I'm like comfortable in my gut. I can do this. Still no bloopers, partly because um, pandemic shooting. You know, we we don't have the same amount of time to. Yeah continue to do takes um, um, unnecessarily for lack of a better word. Um, and, and, but it, but it's so fun. Like I, I, most of my work, you've seen all of, all of 210, so I can't give away anything from 208 to 210, but um, most of my work is with Jillian this season. Um, and that was a blast, you know, most of my, a lot of my work in the first season was with Freddie. He is so kind and so like, so uh, it's such a mutual working relationship. I'm so responsive. Mm -hmm. um, and I also love working with Ari and Jack and Rosani. Like Rosani makes me laugh all the time. Ari is just like so present. She, she's like so calm and just ready to go. And Jack is like, you don't know what she's gonna say. You don't know what things she's gonna come up with next take. And um, you know, it, and so it, it's great. And, and, and one of the things I appreciate about Marja is like, and we'll always be grateful for is her willingness to take me on as as an unexperienced actor, an experienced actor, um, and and to be able to still have fun and like you know balance balance like I don't want to mess up and I don't want to be like the new kid messing up, but with also like when she says like oh that was a great take, great job, I'm like okay, okay I can do this, I can do this, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so incredible. now that you're two seasons in, are you also? Um, auditioning or looking for other opportunities now are you in for the long haul or are you going back to school when this series ends i've never given up my idea of being a social worker i think if i did i would return to more actually community building mm -hmm. i don't think i'd be a great therapist um and i think that what well, the problem with i guess one hurdle is like if i want to keep the credits that i that i accumulated um in that year out of a two-year program i would have had to start either this year or next year before they expire um, and if I don't, I will just have to start over, which is not the worst thing in the world. You know, school always exists. Um, but I feel very, I am auditioning for, you know, what I can do and, and what people want me, are interested in me for. Um, and I, I'm, I moved out here July, we wrapped in November. I thought I was going to be here for six months. I was going to, you know, go home after Christmas and that'd be it. But somewhere in November, December, I was like, you know what? I want to keep going. I want to find agents. <laughs> I didn't have agents yet. I didn't have lawyers. I'm going to find agents who will take a, take a risk on me. Um, I want to keep auditioning and keep working for as long as this place will have me. Um, 
And it's kind of a, a vague desire because you can go, obviously, as we see with the pandemic as well, you can go years without getting anything. And that doesn't mean they don't want you necessarily. It just means there's nothing that like you benefit for. Um, although there are people who probably don't want you. So I shouldn't say that. There are there are cash and drugs who won't want you. Um, but like, I, I, I want to keep doing this. I want to get better. I want to find... You know, I I, I want to. I'm, I'm always thinking about ways that I can I can do better as well. I took like one acting class in between seasons before the pandemic hit. I want to find like private coaching. Maybe I want to work on scenes. I want to like find ways that I can get better so that I can keep doing this. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm in it for now. Well, you also talked earlier about how you wrote stuff. Have you been writing? You know, I I posted on Instagram you know, do you have questions? And I have mm. tried to, you know, weave a lot of the questions and themes into this mm. interview with you that your fans yeah. wanted me to ask. And but one of the questions specifically was about sort of kinds of roles you, you think about wanting to play in the future. Um, and I wonder toward that, or are you thinking of roles to write for yourself? Always. Mm -hmm. Last, last year I did a project and I was out of the country for it. And while I was quarantining, I started writing this like Christmas rom-com and, and it's, it's, it's rough. It is a very rough story, but um, I love rom-coms. I want to do rom-coms for a long time. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, I'm a little struck between like, I don't want to only be auditioning for queer roles or, or roles centered on Asian identity, but I do, these are huge parts of me and I want to tell these stories. I just don't want to be as seen as someone who can only tell these stories and like only like don't, I don't have range. Um, and that's partly practice on my end. And that's partly like, you know, casting directors and writers, you know, creating whole characters. And that's one of the things about Micah is like, we do talk a lot about his trans identity. Um, and in a 60 minute show with, you know, a few episodes, we can't always expand more, but that's, but there, but we've, we've done that this season, I think about like, who is he, what does he like to do? What is he like, who is he attracted to? And that's his queerness is part of it. And, um, I really appreciate it that it's like, there's never like focus on the trauma. I don't want to do things focused on trauma only. I don't want those to be my only roles. I'm happy. I'm more than down to talk about those and like tell those stories. But, um, and that's my dilemma with writing is like, I want to tell rom-coms and I don't want to only be portrayed in queer rom-coms again, because of range. But I also just really want to tell queer rom-coms, <laughs> you know, because that's what I know. Those are my experiences. Those are the stories that like, we need to see more of that we're still not seeing um, often enough. Um, and so it's, I don't know. I I hear how it sounds like, well, what's wrong with playing queer characters? Nothing's wrong with it. It's more the industry seeing that that's all you can do. And that's all you are. Um, whereas I'm a whole person and there's things I'd love to do. More things I'd love to do. Do you share your personal dating life publicly? Do I? Uh, I used to. And um, I did. Um, I, I like make jokes about stuff on Twitter. And like I tell talk a little bit about my journey with queerness on Twitter. Um, you know, before I got the role, right? Actually, when I got the role, and even when I moved out, I was dating somebody. I was in a long, I've been in a couple years relationship with this other woman. And um, around the time I moved out, we actually broke up. And so uh, I, I'm navigating what my boundaries are around privacy because I am, obviously I'm open about my transition and that's been the focus of my, of my platform. Yeah. But like, what else? But that doesn't mean like I have to keep doing it. That doesn't mean like I am bound to keep sharing that part of myself or anything else. Like, I think, I think I've established that I'm pretty open, but like, I also do have boundaries and um, like, I'm happy to talk about my journey with queerness. I think if I were to start dating somebody, I'd probably keep it pretty, pretty low key for a while. Um, 
but I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with like sharing a little bit, <laughs> obviously. Before uh, we say goodbye, um, as this is the Little Known Facts podcast, mm-hmm. could you share a little known fact about you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know why this is the first one that came up when I was a kid. I don't even know how long I did gymnastics, which is weird because I'm also very, and like, I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm afraid of like doing anything that I would get hurt doing now. So maybe, maybe there's a tie there, but I, yeah, I did gymnastics and I, I was very bad. I remember being very bad. I'm like not doing any of the like beams very well. And not like, all I can do is a cartwheel. Well, I am so grateful to have had you on the show today. What an amazing treat to get to really spend this time and to share you. And I thank you for all the beautiful work and activism. And I can't wait to see all the things. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to all my rambling. This has been so much fun. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the little known facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.